0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University.
1: And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU chief of staff.
0: And I'm excited to introduce our guest for today's show. This is an exclusive episode of Framework Leadership where we are talking to Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg about the current crisis in Ukraine. General Kellogg serves as the co-chair of the Center for American Security at the American First Policy Institute He is a highly decorated, retired three-star Army general who most recently served as the National Security Advisor to former President Donald Trump. He also served as the Chief of Staff and Executive Secretary of the National Security Council. Such great accomplishments to recognize and such an honor speaking with you today, General.
2: Thanks, Kent, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: On the morning of Thursday, February 24th, of course, Russia launched attacks on Ukraine, hitting cities and bases. Obviously, the situation has impacted millions of individuals around the world. General Kellogg, I would like to ask you to set the tone for where we are today and how we're being affected by this tragedy. Tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah, sure. See, everybody assumed that the Russian army, when they loaded up, and got themselves ready to go. That this would be a relatively short operation, uh, they would overpower Ukrainians. They're about ten to one advantage over them, uh, and then it would start it off to be a pretty aggressive assault from multiple directions, with the primary avenue of approach to the north, coming in to, to the south, trying to take the capital city of Kiev, and decapitate the government. Decapitate meaning you change governments. That's the term they use. What happened is uh, at the very start, the Russian offensive in the north, the most critical part of their offensive stalled out. And when it started to stall, that's when you you keep hearing about this 40-mile convoy. They were unable to break into the city. So what's happened is you're seeing some advances being made uh, in the southern part of Ukraine, around Crimea, uh, to the east in the Donbass region, but not to the north, which is the most critical part because that's to take, trying to take the capital city and trying to get rid of and capture or kill Zelensky has failed. Hmm. And because it's failed and we're into our third week, I, I think you're starting to see the chance that the Russian army may in fact lose. Yeah. And that would be a stunning reversal but from what anybody had thought of uh, working and watching uh, Russian forces. But right now they're unable to make headway. Uh, and every day that they're not making headway, it's working against them. I think this is going to be a critical week because it's week three.
1: Yeah.
2: Putin's going to have to make some really hard choices. The choices are, does he try to figure uh, a way to get a diplomatic off-ramp, or does he go all in and start hammering the cities uh, with weapons and killing a lot of civilians? People need to remember that Kiev is a 2,000-year-old city. Wow. And how will the rest of the world see him using artillery, and a rocket fire into a city, killing, displacing civilians. And will they finally say, I'm, I'm enough of this. We're not going to let this continue any further. So I think he's got a problem. And I think this is the week that'll be the culminating week. That's just a prediction on my part, but I think I'm, it'll bear out. Yeah. So tell us a little
1: bit more about these kind of tactics and weapons that Russia is using. I mean, are these, is this kosher? Is this, or are these more like, could these be considered war crimes on Russia part? I mean, what, what are the rules of engagement here for us?
2: yeah they, see, really the rules of engagement I think the Russians want them to be because they're they're offensive, but most people frankly will probably tolerate a limited use of weapons in the built up areas that kind of happens, mm-hmm. but the overwhelming use of artillery, which they did in Grozny when they went in when they went into Chechnya where they just flattened the city, yeah. the people will not accept that not killing not a hundred, but thousands of civilians in all probability, and just ruining a city that has stood for over 2,000 years. I think just people aren't going to buy into that. And that's the dilemma he currently has, because he thought, he meaning Putin, thought that the Ukrainians would turn tail and run. And then you had somebody like Zelensky, who is a very charismatic leader, still tell Putin, you know, if you invade, you will see our faces, not our back. Uh, And then when the United States tried to get him out of there, to move him to another location. Uh, he said, I don't need a riot. I need more ammunition. Mm. Well, people are going to fight for a leader like that. And he's proven to be a very implacable foe for Putin. And it's causing Putin some enormous problems. The longer Zelensky is alive and broadcasting which he's doing, it's rallying his people. The harder it gets every single day. For him to try to occupy Ukraine. Mm. I think he has already given up on occupying the entire country, going to the West. I think he may just try to be satisfied with the Eastern part or try to negotiate to hold on into the Donbass region. But bottom line, I believe today that Putin is in fact losing this war.
0: Yeah. I want to I talk about uh, the effect on the United States and how it affects us, what's going on. How do, how do you feel about President Biden's response to all of the chaos? Is he making the right decisions in his position? What, if anything, should uh, he be doing differently uh, because of the consequences it's going to have on our nation?
2: Yeah, Kent, that's a great question. I mean, it, look, here's what I'm seeing Putin doing, and, and it, it'll wear thin pretty rapidly. He's saying, you know, NATO is strong. NATO is standing together. Uh, We're all in this together. Well, nobody's attacking NATO. And there's no indication that the Russians even attack NATO at all. So it's kind of saying, well, we're remaining strong by keeping the alliance together. And oh, by the way, we're going to light up our buildings in Ukrainian colors. But he's not doing anything to end the war. Mm. And the reason he's not doing anything to end the war is because he can't. And what I mean by can't is you have to have an interlocutor somewhere. In the in the Cuban Missile Crisis, President Kennedy had his brother, Bobby, able to go to the Russians behind everybody's uh, behind closed doors and behind people's back. And I I mean that in a positive, not a negative way and able to talk the Russians off the cliff. Well, there's nobody there in the United States able to do it because Biden is hated by Putin. Hmm. He's not respected by Putin. And Biden feels the same way about about him as Putin feels about Biden. So there's no way to get forward on this. So we can talk all we want, but the problem is how do you end this front, end this war? And we're not going to be in the middle of it. We're going to mm. find somebody that needs to get in front of this and figure out to give Putin an offer, especially if he's losing the war, because the consequences of him losing and trying to save face could be ex- pretty extreme. Mm. Uh, and he's already mentioned that. So what you want to do is, ex- is basically give him away a soft landing. Uh, the best way you can to get him out of there, uh, otherwise it could be pretty bad so is Biden doing what he should be doing what he's doing what he should be doing is uh, in a way of saying well, we're staying out of this, but he's not giving any proactive ways of trying to end this conflict because that's what I should that's what everybody should be looking for now you know if I was in the White House uh, and I was with Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor to Trump, I think what we would have done is gotten all of our very smart advisors, taken them across to the executive office building, and took and take them to the fifth floor up there, uh, fed them cold pizza and warm beer, and said, come up with some solutions. Yeah. You know, you give me the worst and the best of solutions and figure out how to get ahead of this. But we're not doing that. I haven't seen no solutions coming out of the, the White House except stop. Well, that's not a good solution. Yeah. you got to give them ways to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. And what's the role of the Russian people in all this? You know, we saw over the weekend more protests rising up uh, of the whole war from the Russian people themselves. How will their efforts impact what Putin's doing in Ukraine?
2: You know, very honestly, Michael, I hate to say this. I don't think anything's going to happen mm. with that. I, I think it's a very small segment of the population. They're, they're cracking down on it really hard. Right. Uh, he's never paid attention to the public. Uh, opinion anyway, so it doesn't make much difference. What's going to make a difference to Putin is what do the oligarchs, because they fund him, say, and what do his military leaders say? That's going to be the critical part, but the people really don't in Russia don't have much to say about, about it at all, and I wouldn't put anything into the protest because nobody's televising them. Right. So it's almost like the famous uh, comment, if a tree falls in the middle of force, does it even make a sound. Right. So I don't think I would put any stock in that at all. Yeah.
0: You know, as Americans, what should our mindsets be like while all this is happening? What can we do as citizens to come alongside those affected by this tragedy?
2: Well, I think, you know, the Americans are doing a lot in in, in volunteering and humanitarian aid. I think that's really great. I think we ought to apply pressure, though, very candidly, uh, as they should, on this administration to do things in the energy sector, which they've ignored, which is basically... Don't become dependent on Russian oil. We're bringing right. in what about six, seven hundred thousand barrels of oil a day, and now we may bring it in Iranian oil as well, and, and be self-sufficient. And we we used to be that way. We should be that way. So I would say to the Americans, get mad at your current administration and ask them Mm -hmm. the question of why am i paying four dollars and fifty cent gas or five dollar gas or or six dollar gas we used to be energy independent don't tell me this is all because of putin it's because we've allowed this to happen by buying russian oil Mm -hmm. bringing russian oil in and the American people should push back on the government economically.
1: All right. Well, when you have a uh, electric vehicle uh, CEO calling for us to be oil independent over over the weekend, then you know it's serious. I mean, that, at that yeah. point, this is this is somebody yeah. that doesn't even believe in it. Wants sustainable energy, and he's even calling it from that side. We've talked a lot about America, about Russia. What about the other members of NATO? What should they be doing? What What would you wish they would be doing more in this kind of
2: situation? Well, well, shockingly i tell you, Michael, they finally st- stood up to what they should have been doing the last two decades, mm-hmm. which is focusing in on defense and funding defense as well and right. very, very, very vocal about it, especially with energy. For example, Schultz, the new chancellor of, of Germany, just said he's going to raise the defense budget over 2 percent GDP. Where just two years ago when I was in at, or at the Munich Security Conference with Vice President Pence, And we were talking to Chancellor Merkel. She told us to our face that they would never get over about 1.4 percent of their GDP on defense, even though they had agreed uh, in 2014 in Wales to raise their defense budget to 2 percent GDP, of which 20 percent was Mm -hmm. modernization. They just, in all these countries out there, refuse to get there. Um, You know, I used to say, tongue in cheek, um, you you know, have the Germans rearm if that's what scares the Russians. Right. Because the Germans always seem to march east. Um, right. And I think that is they're all standing up now on the spending. They're standing up on the energy side. Yep. If you had said this to me six months ago, I would would never believed it. Mm-hmm. They're finally standing up to what they should be doing. But I don't know why it's taken them so long to do it. Trump beat the heck out of them verbally mm-hmm. about not doing it. Uh, and now they see the threat. And you almost want to tell them I told you so. And and we'll see if they continue it. So finally, it's taken them a while, Mm -hmm. but they're they're supporting the effort both uh, militarily, they're supporting it diplomatically, and it's going to support it economically. Mm -hmm. So they're finally in the space that they should be all along.
0: Yeah. Just uh, a couple more questions. I I know your time is very valuable, and we just appreciate you uh, spending these few moments with us. What are the potential ramifications to other countries that were formerly part of the USSR and how that might play into what's next.
2: Well, I think they all see it for what it's worth. And you don't see any of the former uh, uh, Soviet-aligned countries, except for Belarus, supporting what the Russians are doing. Mm -hmm. You sure don't see the Poles doing it. You don't see the Hungarians doing. You don't see the Czechs doing. So I think everybody's kind of said, I'm not playing this game with you. And they've all aligned themselves pretty well. And I think it's safety in numbers now because mm-hmm. they all realize if it, it could have been them if they weren't part of NATO or per, per, weren't part of the EU or any alliance like that. So they see the Russians for what they really are. And I think that's helpful to us, especially going forward in the future. Because I think that, as we say, these guys need to focus in on Russia, it allow us to back out a little bit and focus more on China, which we should be doing, mm-hmm. and the Europeans can handle the problem of Russia, especially if they increase their defense spending and reduce their economic dependence on Russia.
0: Yeah. Last question. How do you see everything playing out, and what should Americans be preparing for in the weeks to come? <laughs>
2: Well, it's going to be – I think this is going to be a critical week because he, Putin he can go two ways. And, and, and can, he can either really react in an extreme manner and uh, because they fight differently than we fight. Their military philosophy is escalate to de-escalate. And that means he, can, he has a lot of options to do something really drastic to force everybody to take a deep breath and, and make a determination on what to do. Or he can basically say let's try to figure a way out of a negotiated settlement – don't kill myself economically and figure out how to do that as well. But we don't play in that area only because we don't have any ability to talk to Putin. You know, the Biden sure doesn't. So I think this will be a critical week. The critical week will be, be the decision by Putin to continue the assault on the cities or figure if he can find some type of diplomatic off ramp. So this is the week to watch. I think this time next week we'll have a pretty good indication of where this war is going to end up uh end up or where it's going to go to
0: yeah well general kellogg i want to thank you for joining us today on framework leadership podcast grateful for the insight you have provided us grateful for your uh, leadership and your service um leaders please continue to keep ukraine in your thoughts and prayers over the next few weeks
1: And if you want to stay up to date with General Kellogg, you can follow him on Twitter at General Kellogg. And as always, for more leadership content, check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Engel or Twitter at Kent Engel or Dr. Michael Steiner. And if you're watching us on YouTube right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right to your feed. Also check out our website, kentengel.com. Sign up for our framework leadership newsletter comes once a week, every single Friday, and it's got great content for you. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership.
0: Uh, Take care, everybody.